Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Dave. Three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all time and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Rocktail Hour is now an affiliate of Amazon.com, the online megastore that offers Earth's biggest selection. If you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway, we would appreciate it if you would first click on the Amazon link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or our affiliates page, and Amazon will send us a few dollars to help fund the free podcast. In today's Rocktail Hour, Tim is going to bring us the story behind Candle in the Wind by Elton John. Thanks, Treg. Candle in the Wind is off of Elton John's 1973 album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Great album. And there are very few albums that I think are as um, uh, universally excellent as this one is. Almost every song on this album was just incredible. This is really my introduction to rock and roll. Uh, I must have been probably eight or nine when I, well, maybe I was a little older than that, come to think of it. I probably was closer to 11 or 12 because I think I bought this album with my paper route money. And um, so I must have been a little bit older, but it was the first rock and roll album that I bought. And, you know, we talk about this, or at least I talk about this almost every podcast. You know, I was not allowed to listen to rock and roll music in my house. And I don't know what it was. You know, it seems like Elton John, you know, now looking back was pretty tame. I mean, he was a little flamboyant and and obviously had the wild costumes. And I think that's probably what really got my parents uh, turned off towards Elton John, because clearly his music, as far as rock and roll music goes, isn't isn't uh, by any means wild or rebellious or, you know, really out there. Some of them are, I guess, but the really popular songs never were. And in fact, he really mellowed as time went on. But for some reason, my parents were really, really down on on Elton John. And again, I think it's because of all the wild costumes. And of course, he had all the glasses and he just looked, you know, like a freak to them, like a hippie freak, you know, in the <laughs> 70s. But I really liked Elton John. And I probably liked the image and the, the personality and, and the, um, as a pop culture icon, I really liked Elton John and, and, and it appealed to me. And, and so as I was, you know, earning my own money and, and riding the bus into town to go to JCPenney and pick out, you know, my first, you know, rock and roll album, I, I picked out Elton John Yellow Brick Road. I don't know why I picked this album out over any of the other Elton John albums, except that maybe the price was good and it was a double album and, and maybe I felt like I was getting a bang for my buck. But, um, I bought this album and I took it home and I listened to it. My parents came home, found out that I'd bought it, and I was immediately told to get rid of it. Well, I I took it to my grandma's house and and left it there so that every time I went to visit my grandma, which was about every other weekend, I would just listen to it at my grandma's house because my my grandma didn't care. You know, she and they had a great stereo. And so it it, Hmm. it was wonderful to go and just listen to it there. And in fact, it was less stressful than it would have been at my house because I didn't have to worry about my parents. Um, and I, you know, I really wasn't being rebellious. You know, by the time I was ready to buy rock and roll albums, um, it's because it, it appealed to me, and it's because I was I was really moved by rock and roll. Rock and roll, you know, spoke to me. You know, you know whether it was wild and and hard rocking or it was, um, 
you know, more uh, mellow and, and some of the, the more lyrical and beautiful songs. It all just appealed to me, and I really genuinely wanted to listen to it. It wasn't that I was trying to rebel against my parents, although, you know, there's that, that stigma of, of teens wanting to rebel against their parents by listening to rock and roll. Now the teens uh, rebel against their parents by not listening to rock and roll. So we've sort of come full circle. <laughs> it's a sad commentary. Right. I want my kids to rebel. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some really good songs on this album. And I remember listening to it the first day when I got home and hearing Candle in the Wind. And it was obviously, you know, about Marilyn Monroe and I knew who she was. And it was what a beautiful song. And so as I thought about what uh, what song to cover next in a rock tale hour, I really wanted to do this song because it's one of the first uh, songs by a rock and roll artist that didn't really feel like a rock and roll song to me. So obviously, there's no great mystery here. The song is about you know Marilyn Monroe, and I, uh, like many others, have always believed it was sort of a tribute to Marilyn Monroe. Well, it was written by Bernie Taupin, who was um, uh, Elton John's you know musical partner, and um, he he gave the lyrics to Elton John. Elton John says it was very, very easy to write the music after he got the lyrics because the lyrics are are very good. But Bernie Toppin states, and I'll just quote here. Well, Bernie, let me go back just a little bit. Bernie Toppin got the idea for the, the title to the song and the idea for the song uh, from a quote about Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin was... Um, um, referred to as a candle in the wind, uh, somebody whose life was taken way too early and, and had a real promising career in front of her. Um, and so it was inspired by Janis Joplin, and, and it was more about um, the stresses of being in the public eye and being famous and, and being so admired uh, by the public that you suddenly become so much more than an actual human being. And this is what Bernie Toppin says. He says, I think the biggest misconception about Candle in the Wind is that I was this rabid Marilyn Monroe fanatic, which really couldn't be further from the truth. It's not that I didn't have respect for her. It's just that the song could have easily been about James Dean or Jim Morrison or Kurt Cobain. I mean, it could have been about Sylvia Plath or Virginia Woolf. Basically, anybody, any writer, any actor or actress or musician who died young and sort of became this iconic picture of Dorian Gray, that thing where they simply stopped aging. It's it's really about beauty frozen in time. Bernie Toppin maybe... Um, who has been very, very successful with Elton John, obviously not as famous as Elton John, uh, or at least in the public eye. People like us know who Bernie Toppin is, and he's widely respected, but um, not in the public eye like Elton John. And clearly Elton John, as he was, you know, singing this song and wrote the music to it, understood, you know, the sort of pain that, that Marilyn Monroe must have felt like. And so the lyrics reflect that, you know, where it says, goodbye, Norma Jean, um, where, you know, Norma Jean was really Marilyn Monroe's name. And, and they took that away from her, basically just took her identity and, and, and just used her and exploited her in Hollywood um, to get everything they could out of her. And then when she died, you know, even then the press couldn't leave her alone. They had to continue writing salacious things about her. And that's sort of the reference of Marilyn Monroe being found in the nude. And, and so you didn't get any privacy from the press and, and you didn't get any respect even in death, although the public, you know, clearly 
I, you know, admired and, and adored her and, and put her up in a station that was so much higher than, than actual humanity. So the lyric, goodbye Norma Jean, is not a farewell and a goodbye to Marilyn Monroe, who had died necessarily. It was more of a commentary on how Hollywood destroyed the... Norma Jean, and Norma Jean in, in, in Norma Jean's place installed Marilyn Monroe. And created oh, Marilyn Monroe that's and took away her identity. You know, and that's the thing that I think that, and again, I, you know, I'm ragging on my parents. My parents are, you know, good people. And actually, you know, now they, they have a little bit of respect for some of this music. But, you know, things that they didn't understand, the, the kinds of things that you could talk about in music and the themes that you could explore and, and the thoughtfulness behind some of the songs. I mean, not all rock and roll songs are thoughtful. I mean, you know, Look at the 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 vast uh, repertoire of uh, Quiet Riot. There isn't really anything that's very deep, you know. Although it's entertaining. Yeah, um, come on, feel the noise, yeah. Tim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's really, in my mind, three versions of this song, and I just kind of wanted to to cover them. There's there's the first version, which was released on the the Yellow Brick Road album, and it's a good, solid song. You cannot find fault with this song at all, um, and it is number. 347 on Rolling Stone's top 500 songs of all time. So it is, you know, it is a good song. But I really honestly believe, and and I think it's reflected, um, I think my theory on this is reflected in um, Elton John's own life. As you watch him over time uh, progress from what he was when he first started releasing albums and what he became even in, even as early as in the 80s as he started to mellow and become a much more thoughtful, I think, performer to the kind of person that he is now that he's almost kind of risen in station above and beyond um, a, a rock star and more of an activist. And I, I mean, I think he's Sir Elton John now, isn't he? I, yeah, I'm yeah, almost, yes. yeah. So, you know, he's really kind of, you know, risen in station. In fact, he's quite a friend, you know, to the royal family in England. But I think in 1986, well, I don't think, I know, in 1986, he recorded this song live with the Melbourne Symphony. And that version of the song, I think, is the quintessential version of this song. Um, it's just beautiful. And as you compare the two songs side by side, the lyrics are the same, the music is the same. Um, it was arranged and produced by George Martin, and almost anything uh-huh. George Martin touches turns to gold, obviously. But the song takes on a, a depth and a beauty that really surpasses the original. And no disrespect to the original. I just like the 1986 version um, and, and think it, it really defines this song. I don't think I've heard that. I need to. Oh, go I think get you have good. because it's have actually. I? I think it's actually more played on the radio now oh, than the original maybe I have version. Been. I just was. don't know the difference. Yeah, but it's live. It is live. Yeah, huh. yeah. The huh. orchestration is incredible, and it's just it, as you listen to it, it makes the message that he's singing. You know, even if you just think he's singing about Marilyn Monroe and singing a, a, a tribute type song to her, it makes it it makes it the message even more powerful. Then there's the version in 1997. And by the way, this song hit hit the charts in, in England when it was first um, released as a single in England, but it was never released as a single in America until 1986, the, the Melbourne Symphony, Symphony version. And, and, it, and at that time, it, then it, it hit the charts. Um, uh, it never hit number one. Then, of course, in 1997, when... Uh, Princess Diana was killed, um, 
they totally reworked the lyrics to be a tribute to to Princess Diana, and and that now has become the highest selling uh, single of all times. Although Bing Crosby's White Christmas on vinyl has sold more records than than this, the version that was done for Princess Diana is is the number one highest selling single of all times. It's somewhere around thirty five million singles. Wow. At at one I point, at one point. Um, at its height about that time, it was estimated that someone was buying that single at a rate of one every six seconds. So so pretty amazing. What did they substitute in lyric-wise for Norma Jean? Do you know on that version? Well, it was called uh, Goodbye England Rose, England's Rose. Uh-huh. And all of the lyrics were rewritten. And, you know, in fairness, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want to downplay the song. Uh, the money all went to charity, by the way. It raised millions and millions of dollars for charity. You know, Elton John donated the money. Um, the lyrics are not great. Um, and in fact, the reason that they wrote this song is because they uh, rewrote this song is that the, the royal family actually asked Elton John to do something for her funeral because he was a friend of Princess Diana's. He actually re- rewrote the lyrics to this song because he didn't feel like he had time to write a song that would do justice to how he felt. Mm. And so he thought, well, this is a great song, and I'll rewrite it. And he's only performed it live one time, and that was at the funeral. And he wow. will not play, play it live. Um, he'll sing Candle in the Wind, but he will not sing uh, England Rose um, unless either of the princes were ever to to request it. And then he would do that at, at, at their request. Otherwise he won't ever sing that song again live. So mm. that's an interesting yeah. piece of trivia, cool. but great song. And, um, you know, one of my all time favorite songs by somebody that I think is really great. Thanks, Tim. Fantastic story. Uh, you can listen to a clip from the song on iTunes by clicking on the album link on the Rocktail hour website. And please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong, if you have an interesting rock tale of your own, or if you have a recommendation of a song that would be a good subject for Rocktail Hour. If you think we're lame, well, please just... Funeral. And he wow. will not play, play it live. Um, he'll sing Candle in the Wind, but he will not sing uh, England Rose um, unless either of the princes were ever to... To request it, and then he would do that at, at, at their request. Otherwise, he won't ever sing that song again live. So mm. that's an interesting yeah. piece of trivia. Cool.